Good morning. How are you doing this morning? All right. I know you guys got a little, you guys came to the second service because you wanted that hour back, didn't you? You said, uh-uh, spring. This is how I do. My name is Dan Underhill. I'm the student pastor here, and it is my privilege to be with you today while our lead pastor is away. And in fact, we're going to continue on in our Tough Love series, and today we're going to talk about accountability. Say accountability. Okay, nice and loud, nice and proud. Accountability. Accountability. I was five years old. My dad bought me my first motorcycle. A lot of you right now are saying, why would a man buy a five-year-old a motorcycle? Because he could. Okay, and that's probably good enough for my dad. Now, he taught me how to take care of that bike. He taught me how to race that bike. I love motorcycles. I love anything to do with motorcycles and gears. How many gearheads are in the house? He's like, you know, I love engines. I love octane. I love anything that just makes a lot of noise and goes fast. Yes. Okay. That's great. Well, that's me. This love continued on for me up into my middle school years. And we started racing motocross with these dirt bikes. My brother one day had decided, he goes, let's go to the practice track before the race that we had this weekend. So he had loaded up the entire truck, filled it with all of our equipment, brought the truck to me at school, and we decided to head out from there to go practice at our practice track. So we get out there, we get the bikes unloaded, and start our helmets on, throw the gloves on, the boots, the pants, I mean the whole nine, we were decked out. And we get out there, fire up the bikes, and start cruising around, just kind of shaking out the cobwebs a little bit. Now, see, I said I was in middle school, and in middle school, there's a lot of cobwebs in school during the day. Amen? I was shaking them out. Everybody right now, just go like this, go, just shake it out. Yeah, just loosen up, relax. Now, see, I got out on there on the track, and I started to just lay into some corners nice and easy. Come down the straightaway, sure, I got this. I'm in control. No big deal. Come into some jumps, little tiny jumps. And then it came a point where I said, you know what? It's time to turn it up a notch. I got to race tomorrow. I got to show these guys what I've got. I'm practicing. And you know what? You perform like you practice, right? So I said, you know what? I'm going to just put it down. I turned that throttle in. And man, I started to turn into those corners, bury that front in there. And man, I was sliding through there. It's ridiculously good. I was in eighth grade. I was amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable that they haven't called me and hired me to ride for Yamaha. I was like, where are they? So I'm riding, come down that straightaway. I'm holding on for dear life. I mean, I got that thing in fifth gear. And I'm like, ah, Jesus, help me. I'm flying down that straightaway having a ball. Then I came to the jumps. And I said, you know what? I see two jumps, but I can make them one. So I got back on that seat. I goosed that throttle. And set my elbows just right. I hit that first mound of dirt. And I launched that bike into the air. I look down. I see that second mound go by. I'm like, I got this. This is going to go great. And then I landed that bike. And shooting pain went up my right leg. The handlebars instantly jerked left. The visor of my helmet hit the dirt first. And then my legs up over the top of me into a huge plume of dust. What I didn't realize is that the way that I came down off of that jump, 
is that I tore my growth plate inside of my knee. Now, this was explained to me later by doctors, and we'll get to that. But what had happened is the growth plate is inside of your knee. I had removed it from inside of my knee to the outside of my knee while remaining under the skin. That's a great visual this morning, isn't it? Everybody's like, oh, right? That's what I was doing. Now, the bigger mistake that I made is I had messed up my brother's plans for the day. Okay, how many of you have an, a younger brother or a younger sister and you've done something totally stupid, right? And you've messed up their plans. Can I see a show of hands? You're like, no, I did that and it totally messed up everything, right? Well, he was so upset with me because I had messed up his whole day. I ended up having to go to the hospital and have surgery on my right leg. After I came out of surgery, the doctors and my dad were explaining what had happened. And they were trying to put together a plan for me because they said the damage that you've done to your growth plate will most likely cause your right leg to stop growing from this day forward. I was in middle school. I kind of wanted my right leg to get to the other height that I was going to get to. And then they said, we have to make sure that number one, you know what you did and you know how serious it was. Number two, you need to know that there is a plan that you have to be held accountable for so that that way you can grow up and become what God has intended you to be. And today we're going to talk about accountability. Say accountability. 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 Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, and this is what it says. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And I want to explain, at that moment, I needed the truth of what I did to myself, but I also needed someone to love me enough to hold me accountable to the plan to help me grow because my right leg being six inches shorter than my left leg would really put a damper on a lot of things I do. Amen? Amen. Amen. It it really would have made things difficult for me. But I needed someone to hold me accountable. And here in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about telling the truth in love. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because sometimes we err on one side or the other. We either love people a whole lot, and we're like, oh, it's no big deal, bless them. <laughs> or we're like, they need to know the truth. We got to tell, someone's got to tell them the truth about what they're doing. And what God is saying in this passage is accountability is all about the truth in love. In fact, it's tough love. It's got grit to it. It's what makes us grow up. The first thing that I want to explain to you that that, uh, the truth in love and accountability can do if done properly is it equips you for the work that you need to do so you can work properly. Accountability will equip you for the work you need to do so you can do that work properly. If we refuse to receive accountability, then what we end up doing is we end up stunting our growth. The same way that my right leg could have been a lot shorter than my left leg, and it would have affected the rest of my body. But when we embrace it, 
when we embrace accountability, true biblical accountability that loves us and tells us the truth, then it unlocks our potential. It changes the position that we're in and says, now only this much was available to you, but now this much is available to you. And we need key people in our lives to be able to tell us that truth and love us and keep us accountable in the process. If you're a man here, you need men in your life that can tell you when you're doing it wrong and men that can tell you when you're doing it right and when you might need to course correct just a little bit. Women, you need the same thing. You need a woman who's maybe been down that road before and can help you, not because they're better than you. In fact, they're just as broken and as fallible as you are but they can help you in the process because you've got to grow up into all that God's called you to be. And I want to talk about me. Why don't we get involved with accountability? There's a few reasons why we don't get involved with accountability because we're like, ugh, I don't want to be that guy. You know that guy? How many of you guys know that guy, right? There's that guy, and he's always telling people, or that girl who's like, they, they don't have the love, they just have the truth part worked out, and they're just kind of like, ha you need to lose weight. And then there's nothing else, you're like, ha thank you for sharing, that's so great. Or maybe it's uh, a girl who says, oh, wow, you thought it was a good idea to wear those clothes today, so you need a fashion consultant, that's what you need, right? There are people who don't know how to marry those two together. And know how to tell the truth in love and say, look, I'm behind you, but I want to tell you the reality of the situation. It's vital for us to be able to interact with them. And the reason why we sometimes don't engage because we don't want to be that guy. But it hurts us. When we don't engage in biblical accountability, we're the ones who suffer. Because when it's done right, it can unlock our potential. It can unlock things that are blind spots for us. Blind spots, blind spots are not wrong. They just exist. Like when you're driving, everybody knows the blind spot. You're driving, you got to look over your left shoulder and check before you change lanes. The area where cars can be is not wrong. It just exists. And for us in life, there are blind spots. There are things that we can't see. And we need people in positions in our lives to be able to say, hey, you can't see over here and I want to help you. But we need them in our lives and we need to be able to trust them. And that's another reason why we don't typically engage in accountability is because we don't trust the other person that they have our best interest at heart. And we need to foster trust if we're going to hold people accountable. And if you're going to be accountable, you have to be trustworthy. You have to tell the truth. You see, people are only as accountable as they want to be. They'll tell you what it is that they think you want to hear. I'm doing great, I'm doing great, I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got to be honest and say, you know what, maybe I'm not doing great. Or maybe I could have done this part better. You see, trust is pivotal in accountability. And without it, you won't go very far at all in growing up and becoming all that God's called to be. Again, back in Ephesians 
chapter 4. It says that we're all a part of a body. We're all interconnected. So what you do matters. Whether or not you get an accountability partner or not, it affects all of us. It affects me. It affects my children. It affects you. It affects your brother and your sister. Because right now, as we're having this service, there are children being watched, cared for, and ministered to in our children's building. And we have great people over there doing that. We're all connected. We're working together to the same goal. And we're only as strong as our weakest link. And so we need to engage in accountability so that that way we can grow up and become all that God has called us to be because he called us to grow in love. But I want to talk to you about the position we have to be in in order to get into true biblical accountability. We have to start in a position of humility. Say humility. humility. Say humble. 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 We have to start in a humble position because nobody is going to receive accountability if we just come firing off the hips like six years you're wrong you need this you need that the problem with you is this right that's not gonna work none of us receive that well but when we're humble and we approach someone in humility it opens the door where they can receive you see we learn best from watching others don't we We learn best by watching them. And sometimes I learn best by watching others' mistakes and saying, I'm not going to do that because that's kind of created a mess. I can't think of a better place than in John chapter 8 to go where Jesus takes the truth and love and brings true accountability together. John chapter 8 is where Jesus encounters the woman who was caught in adultery. Picture this, a woman caught in adultery. In order to accuse a woman of adultery, you have to have eyewitnesses biblically according to Levitical law in Jerusalem. That means there were people that were watching what she was doing and they weren't trying to help her. They were trying to condemn her and accuse her of what her misgivings and her falling short was. They take this woman, they drag her out into the streets and they throw her down into the city square. You see, in biblical times, the punishment for adultery was to be stoned. To be stoned. The most horrific and graphic and brutal way to execute someone. They would pick up stones And then they would hurl them at the guilty party until they eventually expired. Very, very brutal. And so here's this woman dragged out by these leaders in the community and thrown into the dirt. Picture her for a minute. She's got to be crying. She's got to be weeping. She's faced with her own mortality because it says she was caught in adultery, thrown into the dust. And men standing around waiting to pass judgment. Picture her in the dust 
waiting for each one of those rocks to eventually hit her. She's covering her head, trying to protect herself because it's natural instinct to protect yourself and ball up. And there she is, waiting for the first blow. And they say to Jesus, what are you going to do with her, Jesus? And here's what Jesus does. He kneels down into the dirt. And he begins writing in the dirt. The Bible does not tell us what he wrote in the dirt that day. You know what I believe? This isn't in the Bible. This is what I believe. I believe he started to write the names of each person standing around with a stone in their hand. Because the Bible does tell us that one by one, they left from oldest to youngest. I believe Jesus started writing names in the dirt. And then he said this. He goes, you who are without sin, you throw the first stone. And it says they walked away. Slowly rocks dropped out of hands. Heads probably sunk and hearts convicted. And walked away and said, I can't do it. And then Jesus, still there, kneeling in the dirt, says to the woman, Where are those that accuse you? Picture her again. She's probably sobbing. Her eyelashes are probably drenched in tears, waiting for her time to come. And she starts to look up through her hands, wondering if she's going to get hit by a rock. And then she notices there's nobody there accusing her. She says, there are none here. And then Jesus, in only the way that Jesus can, looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus never said it was okay what she was doing. He never said, oh, it's no big deal, don't worry about it. He said, no, 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 that's wrong. Go and sin no more. But more importantly, he didn't condemn her. He didn't hold her to a standard that she was unable to attain. And that is the reality for each one of us. Perfection is unattainable. And we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about tough love. Where we'll stand in there beside people and say, I'm not going to condemn you and I'm not going to accuse you. I'm going to stand right beside you and I'm going to help put you back together and I'm going to help you along the way. And I love you enough to hold you accountable to get on your way. God is so in the business of putting people back together. And you know who he's enlisted? You and I. Jesus on the cross pulled his arms out wide, hung on a cross in Calvary, and said, this is the best I can do to lay down my life in humility, being humble as a God, dying for our sins. And as he did, he opened up the floodgates for you and I to be able to engage with people on a level that no one else can engage with them, to unlock their potential by telling them the truth about him in love and be able to walk with them along the process, not giving up, not condemning, not judging, but loving, loving them the whole 
way. And God is asking today, Lake Hills Church, what do you say when your Lord saves your life? What is it that you say in response when Jesus, because every one of us had the same amount of sin that she had. It's not the same in our practice, but sin is sin. And no sin is greater than another. And every one of us are marred by sin. What do you say to Jesus when he saves your life and pulls his arms wide open and hangs on a cross for us and says, would you go tell people about my love? My love is rugged. My love is relentless. My love is tough. And I will be there when everybody else walks out. And I want you to go and be likewise. Go make disciples of men teaching them the things that I've taught you, being humble and kneeling down the dirt next to those that are broken and saying, I'm with you. We got this. I'm not going anywhere. I've got your back. I'm going to stand right here and see this thing through no matter how long it takes. I've got you. When the world walks away, I'll be loyal. I'm going to stand right here because of who God's called me to be and he's given me a mission and a purpose and it's to unlock the potential in you today. And I see hundreds of faces looking back at me and all I can see is potential to change your community, to change those that say, I've messed up. Could he use me? Yes, he can. Not only yes, he can, but he's dying too. He's literally dying to use you. The question is, what will you say? What do you say to a Lord after he saves your life? The answer is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today. And you may relate with that woman who was caught in adultery, not because that's necessarily your sin, but you feel like you've messed up and you need someone to help you. You need someone to reach out and someone to restore what's broken and what's fractured inside of you. And you be honest enough in this moment to say, that is me. And if Jesus would bend down in humility and save me, I would take his hand and walk with him as far as I possibly can. And if that's you in this moment, I would like to invite you to say a simple prayer under your breath. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just say, Jesus, I didn't know. But now I know. And I choose you. I choose to say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you with my life. If you can forgive the brokenness and use a fractured person like myself, I say yes. And with your heads bowed, if that's you and you are at that moment, there is nothing more exciting than that, than that to us. That's why we do what we do. 
but we would love to share in that joy because you just stepped into the most powerful relationship you will ever experience. And we would like to ask you to just raise your hand high and proud just to mark the moment because I want to pray for you. So if that's you and you made that decision, would you just slip your hand up and say, you know what, unashamedly, if he can use me, I will go. We have a tradition around here at Lake Hills Church that as you put your hands down, we put our hands together and say, welcome home.